Goodness, I love coming to church. Thank God for the gathering. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Once again, we look back to the beginning of the Bible for the beginnings of one of God's created institutions, the family. The scripture leads us and teaches us that God created man. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, In the image of God, God created man, male and female, he created them. So we are taught from the very beginning of the scriptures that God created man. And then we are taught that God created marriage. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And then it goes on to say, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That's in Genesis chapter 2, 18 and 24. In the beginning, God created man. In the beginning, God created marriage. And what followed was the family unit of parents and children. But before Adam and Eve had children, sin entered the world. When Adam and Eve made a conscious choice to rebel against their creator and to live according to their own terms, sin entered the world, entered into our nature. And when sin entered the world, God didn't just cancel it and start all over. No, it was not canceled, but it was cursed. Even still, after the curse of sin, God continued and kept on with people. People were and are born into the world, but things were very different after sin because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. All who would follow were and are born with a nature to sin and into a creation that is now consequentially flawed. A world where pain and suffering, selfishness and struggle are prominent. And the unfortunate ultimate consequence of sin, sin that we all know very well as we don't have to look further than ourselves, the unfortunate ultimate consequence of sin is death. But good news is, is death is not the only destiny. And death is not the only destiny because God is holy. God is good. Now listen to this. God would make a way for people who are born separate from him to be reconciled in him through Christ. Let me say that one more time in case you didn't get it. God would make a way for all who are born separate from him in sin to be reconciled to him in Christ. And the scripture says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, that when the time was right, God sent Jesus. Jesus, the one that we've been singing about. The, Jesus, the one who knew, whose name we pray in. Jesus, the Son of God, was sent to rescue us from the destiny of death. Jesus, who died a sacrificial death to save us from our sins, to, to, the, to the just penalty of God, sin that separates us from God, and Jesus lived and died to fulfill the righteous demands of the law of God that we cannot fulfill ourselves. Jesus is God's plan of restoration for your life. Jesus is God's plan of, of healing for your brokenness. Jesus is God's plan of rescue for your soul that is separate from God in sin forever until we place our faith and turn from our sin. In Jesus, we are still separate from God if we are apart from faith in Christ. I'm going to give you the gospel on the front end today. Amen? And all of this is, is guaranteed truth that we are created by God, 
We are separate from God in sin. We have value because we were created in the image of God. And the only way that we can be restored to God is through the sacrifice of God, who is Jesus. And when we turn from ourselves and turn to God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus in faith, we will be saved. We will be right with God. That is the gospel truth of the Bible. And it is guaranteed because Jesus got up from that grave. Amen. There's hope for your living. And there's hope for your dying because of who Jesus is. Now, I would ask you today before we go any further, we're going to talk about parenting and children today. But the, the truth is, is that for any system in our life, for, for any forward movement in our life, there's any getting better in your life, the answer to that is to connect with God. And the way to connect with God is through faith in Jesus. And so I ask you, do you want to be restored to God today? Do you want to be rescued from death? Who is, who is somebody here who wants to be rescued from death? We just told you how. We just told you how that, that is, it is as simple as believing upon the name of the Lord Jesus. It's as serious as turning from your sin and turning to God. You cannot come to God on your own terms. You must deal with sin. And the good news is, is that Jesus has dealt with it for you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says, if you openly declare, listen to the Bible. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. In a holy moment, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, if you know you need to be right with God because you've been living wrong with God, if you need to call on him now, just call on him the best way you know how. With genuine faith that Jesus is the answer to the problem of your soul separation. If there is a desire within you to turn from yourself and turn to God. Call on God to save you now. Lord Jesus, I think back to the time when I have realized in my life as an 11-year-old kid that I stood a guilty distance from you, a certain separation from you because, Lord, while I was in church and, Lord, while I was trying to do good and do what I was told to do, I was still separate from you because I remained in sin and had never called on you, Lord. God, you opened my eyes to faith and repentance. And I thank you, God, that those years ago, Father, after hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, but based on your grace and mercy, Father, I'm saved. And I thank you for that, Lord. If there's one or many in here today that's never turned from their sin and turned to you, never called upon your name, God, I just pray that your spirit would wear them out before they leave here today. And God, that we would know because of your love for us that we can be saved. And God, by your grace, we can live a new life, a new life that matters, a new life filled with purpose and that would honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to Genesis. Genesis, Adam and Eve, who were once enjoying perfect fellowship with God, now they find themselves in a completely different world after sin. Now it's an imperfect world, and now children are introduced into this world. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, God created them, male and female he created them, in the image of God he created them, he blessed them, and he blessed the union of Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And God created mankind to reproduce. 
And in keeping with that, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Let's read the Bible together today. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of his firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel in his gift. But he did not accept Cain in his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Again, the world was in a different space, different place. Sin is the reason for the dysfunctions of any institution. And before the family unit is created, sin is in the world. But don't misunderstand this. God's grace had not left. Some of us think our sin is done and we're too far from God. Adam and Eve have have strayed far away. They have original sin. They have doubted God. They have separate relationship. They have, and God then sacrifices an animal and he, he gives animal skins to them to cover up their nakedness and their shame. And the reason for that is because he loves them. And he has made a way for them to continue fellowship through the system of sacrifice. And then we also understand that God's grace had not left Adam and Eve because Eve was excited to have a child a blessing into her life. And that child was not born without God's help. Did you notice that in chapter four, verse one? Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Y'all, this is a good place to say that the life of a child may be unplanned by human beings, but life never begins or ends without God's oversight or care. God decides life. God knows life before there is life. And God's word leads us to conclude, and it's all there in Job, Psalm, Isaiah, and throughout the scripture, God's word leads us to conclude that human life begins in the womb. And once the child and the life of a child begins in the womb, listen to me clearly, once the life of a child begins in the womb, to take that life is to trust your judgment over God's and to violate God's standard. That's as plain as I can make it. And if this standard is violated, now listen, listen. If this standard is violated, there is grace for those who seek forgiveness and for those who repent of their sin, just as it is the same with my sin and anyone else's. There is grace over all sin for those who would turn from themselves and turn to God. But listen to me clearly now. There is judgment for those who act as if they know more than the Lord God Almighty. There is judgment. That's a serious thing this morning. There is judgment for those who act like they have a better way than God's. Now listen to the scripture in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. The Bible says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their own wickedness, who hold down the truth because of the own sinful nature within themselves. They hold down what is true so that they don't have to lift it up. And then the scripture goes on to say, and by the way, guys, 
I'm not, this is not my opinion. This is not a political piece. I am reading to you what is in this Bible. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their own wickedness. They know the truth about God. And watch this, because he's made it obvious to them. Obvious. Meaning when life begins and who determines life, y'all, it ain't really that hard. It's obvious. It's obvious. Yet we are deceived by the enemy into believing that we know better than God. And this is why we must never think ourselves too smart. We must never trust our conclusions above God's or give more attention to the brightest minds or the loudest voices over the word of God. Amen? Now let's go back to Genesis and to the account of Cain and Abel. The the nature of sin from Adam and Eve are now in their children. Cain was selfish. He was jealous. Cain killed his brother in cold blood right there in Genesis because he was jealous that he did not receive the approval of God like Abel did. His offering was not accepted, and so he resented his brother, and he killed him. You know, before all that, though, isn't it interesting? How did Cain and Abel know to bring God an offering in the first place? Have you ever thought of that? Because we don't have all of the stuff that we see there forward in the law and the offerings. We don't have all of that yet. So, so how did Cain and Abel know that presenting offerings to God is a practice of faith. I think it's very practical. I also think it's very biblical to suggest to you today that Cain and Abel knew how to practice faith because they were taught by their parents. In the garden, Adam and Eve got to know the character of God. They were there with him. They got to know the standard of God. They got to know the justice of God while they were there with him. They understood the grace of God, the principle of sacrifice, when God made animal sacrifices. Again, the skins to cover them up in their nakedness and their shame. They understood God's grace. In the garden, there was only a knowledge of what was good. So they knew what was good, what pleased God. God has always revealed himself. He's always revealed how to approach him, always revealed how to worship him. That's why we're here today, is it not? And so it's safe to say that God revealed his character, even though we're not told that specifically, it lines up with the rest of Scripture that God revealed his character and how to acknowledge his presence that was given unto Adam and Eve. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 tells us, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Lord, lock us in on your word and help us, O oh God, to respond to your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. It was by faith that Cain and Abel made a free will gift unto the Lord. That's a lesson on giving that we could all receive today. It's by faith. It's not by anybody twisting your arm that when the plates are passed or an offering is mentioned. It was by faith. It was by belief that they made a free will gift unto the Lord. But the practices of our faith, they're not blind. The practices of our faith are not just made up. God reveals the truth. And to those who believe the truth, they must practice it and pass it on. And this assertion that, that the parents taught the kids about how to respond to God, this is consistent in Scripture. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children and talk to them about when talk talk about them when you were at home and when you were on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they'll not leave it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. God reveals truth, and those who believe that truth must practice it and pass it on. Parents, God has set it up to where children are to learn of his instruction and appropriate responses to him through us. Through us, through mom and dad, through guardian, through granddad, whoever is that primary overseer. God has given the responsibility of those who believe to practice it and pass it on. Our families are our first circle of discipleship. We have close relationships with our family. We have good amounts of time together. We hold positions of influence. Therefore, when we hear the command of the Lord Jesus Christ to go and make disciples, we should do that in the living rooms of our home. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Often we hear the words of Jesus and we think to ourselves, I'm going to have to lead somebody to the Lord. I'm going to have to cold call, be evangelistic. And when they get saved, I'm going to have to invite them to my house all the time. And I'm going to have to disciple them then, and I don't even know them. I'm going to have to reach these people. I don't have a clue who they are, and that makes me extremely, extremely nervous. Well, don't count that out either, by the way. (laughs) Amen? Don't count that out. But I would also say to you today to start with the kids that are in your own home to make disciples of those who are constantly around you, learning from you, watching you. The responsibility of discipleship that we have as parents, as grandparents, are to those that we directly influence. Tony Evans said that the single greatest reason why we are losing our young people today is that the home is no longer the place where faith is transferred. He said, you cannot outsource this vital component in the rearing of your children. In all honesty, if I were to give you a biblical summary today of God's system for the home, it would be this. Parents are to lead and to train. Children are to listen and to yield. Now listen to me once again, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, am I still a child? Do I fit into that category? Do you? You really have to answer that for yourself. Parents are to lead and to train. Children are to listen and to yield. Again, sometimes I think we we come in here and go, this guy's drawing hard lines on stuff that it was his experience. No, sir. These are the things that I see simply in the Word. I can tell you today that we are to, as children, we're to listen and to yield to parents. As parents, we are to teach and to train. It's that simple. We can close the Bible up and go on home. If y'all want to study it for yourself, you'll find it in there. Listen and train, or lead and train, listen and yield. God's plan and desire has always been for the family to lead and train the family. It's not your school's job to teach them about God. It's not the media's job to teach them about God. It's not the government's job to teach them about God. But they'll do it for you if you want. I was in Gatlinburg with our students. I got to drive up just for the day and come back. And at the end of the time, at the student conference, they had this this invitation, evangelistic invitation, and 
And it was, it was great as, as students were there and they were away from the regular setting and they heard the gospel clearly and many of them began to make their way out a side door and begin to talk to a counselor. So many of them that the guy on stage called for any leaders that were there in the conference that if they would give up just a few minutes of their time, they could also go back and join some of those decision counselors and help students walk through what they are dealing with as God's Spirit is calling them to a place of repentance or God's Spirit is calling them to a place of a relationship. So I'm standing there and I'm like, all right, you know, we stand up master volunteers and I'm not moving. It's time for me to move. So I go out the side door and I'm standing with a bunch of other guys that are and, and ladies that are just waiting for someone to come through. And, and a lady, a young lady that's about 13 years old, she walks through the doors with one of her friends and immediately she looks up and I'm just smiling like, hey, you can come over here if you want. So she walks directly over here. We sit down on the floor. This is what she says. She said, because I said, I said, tell me what's going on in your heart. She said, a few years ago, I think I made a decision to be saved, but I'm not sure if I am right now. She said, something's going on in my heart. And she said, I, I haven't been to church in a long time. She said, I haven't been to church like I should. And she said, I'm really just dealing with whether or not I am right with God. And I'm not sure exactly what I believe. Now we walked her through that. But after that time, this is what I thought. Y'all listening to me? She's 13 years old. She can't drive herself there. So part of me wanted to be like, give me your phone. I'm going to call you mom and daddy. <laughs> right? But again, I'm I, I making all kinds of assume, uh, you know, assumptions and maybe rushing to judgment. But the truth is, is that she can call an Uber and, and get there. She's, she can depend upon a friend, but her home is responsible for her spiritual development. Primarily responsible for her spiritual development. One pastor said this, the greatest stumbling block for a child in worship is a parent who doesn't. I wish I'd have thought of that, but it wasn't mine. It's good. According to research into faith and culture, listen, spiritual development is important to parents. It is important to parents. It's important to you. You wouldn't be here today. But most families don't have a spiritual life together. That is what recent research into faith and culture by Trusted Resource puts out there that while it's important to parents, spiritual development is important to parents, most families don't have a, have a genuine spiritual life together. What does that mean? a genuine spiritual life together, where worship is regular, where praying together is consistent, where reading and discussing the Bible, they're steady, steady. Why is that? Why do those who value the development of children, and by the way, let me stop right here and just say, if you're here today and you think to yourself, this really don't apply to me, we had kids, they're grown now. Or maybe you think to yourself, we don't have kids at all, don't know if we're going to have kids at all, and you're using all these things about why you need to hear a different sermon when you leave here because you didn't hear one today. Let me just tell you that the kids in this church and your place of influence one day going to be making laws for y'all to follow. Are you hearing me? They're going to be your legislators. They will be those who are making rules for you to follow the kids, the children, the students in this place are one day going to hopefully be your preachers, your teachers in your school systems. They will be your missionaries. They will be checking you out at the local grocery store. That is the generation that's coming up under you, so you absolutely, church, have a responsibility to them in this church. Cannot make it any plainer than that. You share a responsibility 
to the folks that have entrusted this to be their church. It is your role to supplement what they are doing in the home. And the church said, Amen. Let me remind you of that everybody upon baby dedication, when we ask the questions of, will you support this family? And will you come alongside this family? And will you nurture this child? And will you support them? And will you, will you teach them? Everybody in there, I've never had anybody go, no, we're not going to do it. <laughs> never had one church member ever vote against that one. Now, why? Because we all know it's right. We all know it is our responsibility so this is bigger than just parents and children today. This is a responsibility of the church. I shared this with a guy that's teaching a group of students not too long ago. He was sharing with me. He's like, man, I hope they're getting some of the things that we're teaching. I hope that it's getting through to some of the young minds of the important truths of God's word. And this is what I told him. Sometimes it's not so much about what you're teaching and what they're getting as it is them having a consistent, present example of faith before them every week that you too are living out what their mama and daddy is living out and they can't even go to church without getting away from that example. Right? According to the research in the faith and culture, the spiritual development is important to parents, but there's no genuine spiritual life together. Why? One of the reasons why is because of what we talked about last week. We're just too busy. And you can go back last week and listen to that. Secondly, because parents simply follow the precedent that was set before them. One of the reasons why there is not genuine spiritual life together in the homes now is because parents simply follow the precedent that was set before them. Meaning this, we generally do as much or less as was modeled for us. Why? Because we see that as sufficient. We see that as enough. We see that as meeting the standard. It wasn't long ago I remember sitting down with a pest control service representative. And he was like, hey, man, if we come and service your house, this is what we're going to do. We'll do this, that, and the other. And at the end of time, he said, we're not going to come into your home. We're just going to spray the outside. I said, okay. I said, seems like I remember growing up that they always came inside and sprayed inside. I said, y'all don't do that anymore? He said, no, we don't do that anymore. I said, why? He began... He began to fumble around with the answer. This is no, this is 100% truth. He began to fumble around with an answer, and he goes, well, you see, man, I think what they're trying to do is, uh, you know, the chemicals, and that. he stopped, and he goes, man, straight up, that's what Cooks does. That's what we do. <laughs> I love that honesty, right? I was like, you're hired, man. If you'll be that honest with me, <laughs> I was like, you're in. That's what he said. He said, that's what Cooks does, so that's what all of us do now. Why do I tell you that? We generally only do as much as the standard does. When it comes to leading our family spiritually, we generally do as much or less as what was instructed to us or modeled by our parents because we see that as what? As sufficient. And y'all, it may be sufficient. It may be sufficient. The example that you've seen, it may be exactly sufficient or it may not be sufficient. But the, the spiritual development of, of those that we influence, the spiritual development of my children is not determined by my parents. It's not determined by Brittany's parents. It's not determined by any of you. The spiritual development of my family is according to the spirits of God leading. As the spirit of God moves us towards more, we need to take more. As the spirit of God leads us to take another step of faith and teaching, we need to take another step of faith and teaching. 
It's not over till the Spirit of God says it's over. What does Ephesians chapter 6, 4 say? Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from where? That comes from the Lord. God determines when it's enough. God determines if how we train is effective. God determines if we are mature or not. It's still a new year, families. What changes should we make towards taking a next step of spiritual development for our families? What steps of faith do we need to take? What's something that we need to try on? What's something that we need to get real humble before our kids and say, we've never done this before, but we're going to give it a shot? What level of discomfort do you need to experience because it's a next step of faith? Secondly, the reason why we don't genuinely spiritually develop our children is at times because we struggle with our own spiritual immaturity, do we not? Parents struggle with their own spiritual immaturity. We often feel that we don't know enough. We're not grown enough. We often feel like we've not reached this level of maturity that we should have already reached because we see others reaching that level of maturity and we should be further along in knowledge and obedience and service. And we begin to convince ourselves that we can't do anything better so we don't expect, listen to this part because it's important, so we don't expect anything better from our children, yet we want more for our children. Does that resonate? We've reached this place in our life of Christian service, of Christian maturity, and while we don't think we can go any further than that because we're rock solid set in our age, we want more for our kids than what we had in a spiritual experience in a walk with God. So what happens as a result of that is we often tie our spiritual development and the development of our families away from the home, and then we tie the spiritual development of our children to institutions outside the home, such as the church, Christian leaders, and Christian schools. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The church and Christian schools and Christian leaders, they are on the grind for your kids' discipleship. They are thinking and planning and working. They want to see champions for Christ. They want to see a next generation of folks that know their worldview and own it. They want to see a, a generation of servants and people who love the church and people who love God. They are on the grind for that for sure. Our children's ministries, our students' ministries, their leaders every week, I can attest to this, they are thinking about the experience of Christianity for your child. But parents, the church and Christian ministries, listen to this, are to be part of the developmental vehicle that y'all are driving. Amen? They are to be part of the developmental vehicle that you are driving. Moms and dads, our children don't need to see perfection. They know better. They know better. Our children don't need to see perfection. They need to know what we do with it when we are imperfect. They need to see us walk the aisle and get on our knees. They need to see us apologize. They need to see us start turning over a new leaf and doing something different and sharpen the blade. They need to see us do these things. They need to see what we do when we're imperfect. They need to see us own it. They need to see us kneel. And I, when I say kneel, I mean not figuratively. I mean literally kneel before God. 
They need to see us on our posture knees before God Almighty. They need to see our development. They need to see our growth. They need to see our resolutions of this is where we are. This is where we need to be because I've been spending time with the Lord and here's what he's bubbling up in my heart. Parents, if you must crawl spiritually today so that your kids will spiritually walk one day, then crawl. Now, parents, y'all good? Because it's time for the challenge to the kids. If you would consider yourself in here a, a child, a kid, I want you to wake up and listen up right now, all right? Wake up and listen up because this is specifically for you. We don't know if Cain was an obedient child or if he was a disobedient child. We don't know if he was a sweet kid or if he was terrible to deal with. But if you won't listen and yield to Almighty God, when God personally instructs you and corrects you, it's safe to say that you didn't respect the authority of your parents. Genesis chapter 4, the last half of verse 4 and 5, it says this, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Kids, pay attention. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and dejected, the Bible says. This made Cain very angry and dejected. Abel followed the instruction of Revelation. Abel had favor from the Lord. Cain did what? Cain went through the religious motions. He showed up because that's what he's supposed to do. He gave an offering because that's what they've always done had nothing to do with his heart and had everything to do with tradition and religion, had nothing to do with him loving God, loving the Father, and because it didn't, God lovingly called him out. He rejected his offering. I would absolutely warn anybody in here from reading that scripture and going, why would God do that? You better line up and say, why would Cain do that? Abel followed the instruction. Cain rejected the instruction. He rejected the discipline of God. And you think, man, what a terrible ending for Abel. He was murdered by his brother. It's better to lose your life in God's favor than to keep your life under God's judgment. What we see in the scripture is Cain is in a position of subordination to God, the Father. And when he was corrected, kids, what did Cain do when he was corrected by God? I'm going to tell you what he did. He started pouting instead of changing. The Bible says he got angry and he looked dejected. Come on now. We all know what that look is. <laughs> Shut my offering, man. God was like, what'd you say? He's like, nothing. <laughs> no, I heard what you said. <laughs> he started pouting. The Bible says he physically looked, looked dejected. Like, how are you going to tell me what to do, man? I worked all this time, and then I made all this offering to you. I gave it to you. You didn't even want it. His offering was rejected. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Proverbs 27, 17 says, the sacrifice of an evil person is detestable, especially when it's offered with the wrong motives. Now, think about that as we attend church this morning. Why are you here? Are you coming because somebody's making you be here? Are you attending a house of worship this morning because it is your motive to worship God and hear from God? Because the Bible says that God is not wanting any kind of these sacrifices where you don't mean it. And so what God does is he lovingly rejects Cain's offering so that he won't do it again. Whom the Lord loves, he does what? He disciplines. Cain was 
likely grown at this time because the Bible does talk about how they had grew up. That's what it says in verse two. He was likely grown at this time, but while he may have been an adult, he also is likely the most childish adult in scripture. God didn't cast him out after the offering. He simply corrected him. That's all he did. Read in the scripture. God just corrected him and he warned him. I'm warning you, Cain. If you correct this and get this right, you'll be accepted. But sin is crouching behind the door, man. It's waiting to get you. You better be its master. It will master you. That is the most loving father. Certainly better than I do it. That is God going, I hear you. Thank you for bringing this to me. I'm going to give it back to you now because you know what's in your heart and you know why you did this and don't bring this to me anymore before a holy God until you get that straight. God did not banish him yet. He did not kick him out yet. This is not what God is doing. God was in a position to correct as a loving father. And just as Cain was in a position of subordination to God, children are in a position of subordination to a parent. Kids in here, God has given you mom and dad. God has given you your parents. And again, this looks different across, so don't take it uh, anything impersonal. I'm just bringing it together. God gave Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, for their good. Because they had life experience, they had time with God, they loved their children, and so they pour into their kids. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, this is as plain as God's word makes it. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Your responsibility, kids, yes, is to your parents, and it's right to be obedient. But your responsibility, as you know God, is to respond to the Lordship of God. As long as your parents, as long as your guardians, as long as your grandparents are not contradicting the standard of God with their teaching and training, you practice obedience and you trust those who love you. Trust the message of those who love you, lest you will question everyone in authority. Did you, kids, did y'all hear that? Practice obedience now with those who love you, because if you don't, what I'm telling you is you'll get older and even God can't tell you what to do. And there's judgment in that, man. There's judgment in that. Proverbs 15, 32 says, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you will grow in understanding. The toughest thing one can do is to submit one's will to the will of another. And It's the best thing one can do when they are led by those who fear the Lord and love those that they influence, love their child. Parents, children, listen, this is one sermon on the system of the home. It's not all-encompassing. We could go into all kinds of situations. We could go into all kinds of scenarios. Listen to the principles of the Word of God and apply it to your life. But listen to this. Parents, kids, if you are insecure about what your family looks like or where your family is spiritually, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. You're here. The Spirit of God is working. The truth is before you. You are eligible, all eligible, for redemption. Don't give up and stop pointing fingers. Here's why. Whenever you make a list of responsibilities like we have today, we have made a list of responsibilities that say, parents, lead and train. Kids, listen and yield. Whenever you make a list, there's a word you need to run alongside those lists. And if there's any staff members in here today, tell me what that word is. Grace. 
Grace. We all need grace, man. Parents, Lord, as, as you're giving me conviction now, may I hear it. Our children need grace. Kids, your parents need grace. They too, if they did not need grace, there'd be no need for Jesus. They need the grace of God in their life. And that grace that's given to them, and kids, the grace that's given to you, that does not take away from your responsibility to listen and to yield. Neither does it take away from my responsibility and my wife's responsibility to lead and to train. We are to trust and to try. We are to hear the word of God, respond to it, and know that we will not achieve a level of perfection because Jesus did that for us. At the end of the day, we are all dysfunctional families because of sin. That's the truth. We were in a group this morning as we studied together. We were watching a video study, and it was on marriage. And marriage is next week, by the way. Now listen. Satan will do his best not to get you here next week. He'll do his best not to get you here. He'll cause you to fight three days this week and be like, you go on to church. You need to hear it. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> I'll check it out online. I have my notes ready when you get back. The <laughs> At the end of the day, we are all dysfunctional families because of sin. And again, different situations, different scenarios in this church. And I remind you that we are preaching to where you've not been, but where you are going. No matter what your past looks like, your future spotless. That's where we're taking you here today. Amen. Again, I didn't come up with that and it's good. Don't quote me on it. At the end of the day, while we are accountable to one another, parents and children, while we are accountable to each other, our greatest responsibility is to honor the God who created us and saved us. And when we desire to honor God, we begin to fulfill those roles in our home. When we take the desire that the Spirit of God is working up within us, as we even make our way today from this sanctuary to our houses, what God's Spirit is working up within us towards the truth, when we yield to that, in subordination to God, that's when we will begin to see our homes change for the glory of God and the good of man. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Let's stand our feet.